0: Now, back in the book of Malachi, and we're introduced now to two groups of people in a local church. The world uh, sees many different groups and uh, divisions of humanity. Uh, we'll divide perhaps in uh, nationalities and 190 odd members of the UN and other subdivisions uh, within those. We might uh, divide on our politics, right, left and centre and every flavour and fringe along and all meeting at the bottom end at the same uh, particular point. Uh, we might uh, differ on gender and where once there were only two now on Facebook, you could identify in at least 100 Ways, but um, what does God see as He looks at any group of people as He looks here tonight or out on the city of Cardiff or out on the whole of humanity existing now? 8.1 billion people, it's quite a large number. And then, uh, what about all those who've gone before, the billions and billions who have uh, lived and breathed on this? particular planet? Well, far from being many groups, God distinguishes only two, and uh, we're either or here this evening. You're either a believer or an unbeliever. It's put in this way, you're either alive or you're dead. You are either in the light or in darkness You are either saved or you are lost. You either have true faith or you have unbelief. You're either a sheep or a goat. You're either on the right hand of the Lord or you're on the left. Your destination is either heaven or it is hell. It's as stark as that. There's no in-between ground some people say well I'm sitting on the fence my friend there is no fence there really isn't a fence you might say well uh, I'm an agnostic in quite a proud way and I'm thinking it through well agnosticism is uh, comes from the root actually ignoramus so to be an agnostic is to be well I'm an ignoramus that's in effect what you might well be be saying but you wouldn't put it as bluntly as that there is no fence one way or the other, one side or the other. Remember an old uh, chorus that uh, children used to sing, there are two roads built for little feet. That's the Bible story. The broad one is with danger filled. The narrow one leads to glory. Then a the question comes, which way are you traveling? The broad or the narrow way? And when it comes to the professing church, So a scene such as this one reproduced many times around Cardiff, throughout Wales, uh, throughout the world. God so loved the world, even in the professing church. uh, The Lord makes it quite clear. There are, generally speaking, two groups of people who sit under the Word of God week in and week out. They're known as the wheat or the tares, and they grow together. Uh, Shall I pull the tares up now? No, says the Lord, leave them until the great harvest. Then there'll be a great uh, sorting. There's the wheat or the chaff. And on that great day of judgment, they will be sorted. We're told starkly about the wise and the foolish bridesmaids. All had lamps. All had lamps that were burning. Until at that decisive moment when the Lord returned, the foolish virgins had run out of oil. It was their own self-evident religion. That they were living off and on. Now we know about the wise and the foolish builders. Their buildings look pretty much the same. But when trouble came, the one built on the rock is the only one that stood. So how can we tell which group we are in? The Bible is very clear. It's not down to our gifts. We might be very gifted people, gifting is no recommendation as to whether we're actually saved or not. Many say, Jesus will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Weren't we great preachers? Didn't we do healings in your name? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? These are great gifts. And Jesus says, depart from me. Here's the problem. I never knew you. There was never that relationship there. No, it's not gift but it is fruit it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit the Spirit working in the heart of an individual first of all bringing us to see our need as sinners before a Holy God let's just quickly highlight illuminate the Gospel <laughs> there is a God but you, you knew that didn't you? Deep down, we all know that. The Bible's very blunt again. It's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. The evidence is abundant. There was... um, I don't know if I've mentioned it. No, I haven't. I haven't preached here for quite some time, have I? So I wouldn't have mentioned it here because it's only a couple of weeks ago. I heard Richard Dawking, the famous uh, intellectual atheist, being interviewed on the television. And uh, the interviewer said to him, well... Richard, now, if if it turns out you were wrong, what are you going to say to God? And he said this, he said, well, I would say to God, you could have made yourself plainer. That's an outrageous thing to say. Could God have made himself any plainer? Really, the clues are there. Who live in a universe like this? Well, he's placed us here. How's it got here? The heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. So there is a God. How can I know him? First of all, why don't I know him? It's a moral problem. It's a problem of rebellion in the heart. It's sin. God is pure and holy. He stands behind his law. It's a law of love. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. But we all fail. We can't do it. Why? Because we love ourselves too much. It's a deep, deep deep-seated problem. All 8.1 billion have got the same spiritual disease called sin. Well, that bars us from heaven. It stops us knowing God. It's why many people scratch their heads wondering, oh, I wonder what He's like. Why, Why don't I know Him? Sin is the problem. What's the answer? Not religion, not morality. It's Jesus Christ. According to an eternal plan, God the Father, yes, one being, three persons. God the Father sends God the Son into the world, overseen by God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus takes a human body and becomes one of us. He doesn't stop being God, but He's also now fully man. One person, two natures. He's the eternal person, the Son of God, who's taken to Himself a human body and a human nature. His nature is just like yours and mine, but no sin. And he's come to do us good. To get to heaven, I need a clean life. I haven't got one. So Jesus Christ lived it for you and me. He sat the entrance exam for heaven and he puts your name on the paper. Then all your failure was laid on him. He took the rap for all your sin, rebellion and offenses. You're a sinner by nature and a sinner by deed. And that was the cross of Calvary where he stood in our place and bore the wrath of a holy God against your sin and mine. And he died and he was buried. And he rose again the third day because death hangs on to sinners, but he'd done nothing wrong. And up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. And he's alive. And now the work of the Holy Spirit is to come to a meeting like this and to tap you on the spiritual shoulder and say, hey, these things are true. Well, what must I do to be saved? You might say, well, the answer of the Bible is very clear. Believe. It's not going to church enough, saying enough prayers. It's not taking communion. It's not being baptized, not stand up, sit down, and nod your head. It's Jesus Christ who does helpless sinners good. I repent of what I am and what I've done, and I trust in my only hope, which is Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. There's the, there's the gospel. And when that happens, he takes my sin. And he gives me his clean life. And I'm counted as righteous. I'm still a sinner. I still get things wrong. I'm not what I should be, but thank God I'm not what I was. But his spirit dwells within me. Now the evidence of that is not gifts. There are some great orators who can do wonderful, wonderful sermons, study and produce wonderful oratory. It's no proof that that person is saved. What we're looking for is fruit from the Holy Spirit. And the initial fruit is repentance towards God, faith in Jesus Christ, and then growing in the life of the believer in increasing measure, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control. Wonderful. The fruit of the Spirit of God in a life. And what we're seeing here in this passage in Malachi are two groups of people producing two groups of faith. And their fruit here is the fruit of their conversation. The way they speak to each other and principally how they speak to one another about the magnificent being of the triune God. Here in this passage in Malachi chapter 3, it's about two groups of people and their conversations Grace, true faith, shines out most clearly in times of difficulty and trouble. Personal and national. Maybe times of trouble in a local church. When we're taking the knocks, it reveals what is actually inside of us. And in Malachi's time, the people were going through really difficult times. They were taking the knocks. But if I have two vessels here filled with a liquid and I'm not sure which is good and which is bad, if you knock them, then out of that vessel will come the liquid. What is it like? And these people in Malachi's time, they were going through tough times. They were still under a Persian governor. The nation is not what it used to be. The crops were not producing what they used to produce. Uh, Financially, they were going through difficulties. And here we have the reaction of those who had a name of being religious, but deep down there was no actual reality. And verses 13 to 15. Let's just go through it very briefly. I want to spend more time on the folks. I trust that I am and, and we are here this evening. But first of all, in times of difficulty, here are these particular people, and God has got a complaint against them. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, What have we spoken against you? Again, the people are surprised that God has got this contention with them. Oh, I've heard you, says the Lord, you have said, is what they're saying. We won't go into any real detail. In fact, we've covered these things before. Here's what they say. So go to the church and after the service, here's a group of people. They've got a cup of coffee and they're talking together and it's all very gloomy. What's the point in serving God? It's useless to serve God. Why do we bother coming to church? What you find is, generally speaking, they they don't come very much. They might come on a Sunday morning fairly regularly. Now, look, I don't want to get at people. There are genuine reasons why some folks can't make an evening service and others can't make the midweek meeting and can't get to men's breakfast and ladies' meetings. We're not into meeting items, but we're looking to try and get to the heart of, of the matter. What is my desire? given the freedom from family ties and illness and work and so many things pressing in. Were I given the choice, where would I want to be? And when it comes to the true believer, church, what do you mean you go twice on a Sunday? My friends, why would I want to be anywhere else? But these people are saying, well, it's, it's futile. It's futile. And, and what profit is it that we have kept His ordinance? Why? Why? Why do we bother? And it manifests itself in this way. They're, well, they're haphazard, they're pretty hit and miss. Was so-and-so there today? Well, I don't I'm not sure that they they were. Well, maybe they were sat upstairs, maybe they were downstairs. But there's no real hunger in their hearts for the Lord. To them, it's a religious activity that they are going through. It's useless to serve God. And here's an interesting line. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances? And the, the word for profit here is physical profit. What, what gain have I got materially from following the ways of God? You see, they got it in mind that if I follow God, he ought to bless me. And look at the state of Israel, they're, they're, they're saying. Uh, what is the point? And we've still got a Persian governor here. Oh, it's futile. We get no profit from it. Even though they say, here's the, uh, the latter thing that they're saying, uh, we have walked around as mourners before the Lord of hosts. See that picture of gloomy religion. You know, We've even dressed in the right way. And we've even, now we see that God desires repentance, so we are pretty repentant we really are sincerely repentant and will put on a gloomy face and let there be no joy in this place, even singing the magnificent Psalms. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. We've gone around as mourners. We've given the impression that religion is a sad thing and people ought to be gloomy. And what has it profited us? They're in it very much for the here and now and they're not getting anything back from it. And then they're accusing God of being perverse. Verse 15. So now we call the proud blessed. Those who are arrogant and lift themselves up and oppress others, oh, they get money, they get gain. They're advancing. They've got the big houses. They've got the new uh, um, 73 registered chariots. They don't seem to be in want. So clearly, God approves of them. Let's call the proud blessed. And those who do wickedness, well, they're the ones who are raised up. And even they that tempt God, they can do that and they go free. There's no consequence for their wayward living. But we are religious and we're trying to keep the ways of God. Look how gloomy we look. You know, true religion is never meant to be gloomy, but they've got that impression uh, here. It ought to make us glad. There ought to be a joy in our hearts. And singing some of the hymns we've been singing this morning and this evening... We ought to be radiant and reflecting the glory of this remarkable being who dwells in triune splendor. Oh, there's no justice in serving God. And really, it's a repeat of things that have been said before by these people. It is depressing, it is discouraging, and it is deadly. It seems that their whole focus of religious activity is on this life. And as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, if for this life only we have hope, then we are above all people to be most pitied. But it's not. It's not. And so we have another group of people who come into the picture. I mean, imagining now, just to meet that that former group of people. And after the evening service, you have the misfortune of sitting by them and you turn to them. And uh, you have an earful of war. And you think, well, how very depressing. I didn't come to church to hear that. Well, then let's move rapidly on from that. And let's move on to this other group of people. And we'll only touch on them uh, this evening. We won't get on to verses 17 and 18. We'll only really touch on verse 16 a little. But um, what a wonderful contrast Here are folks, verses 16, well let's stick on verse 16, and the start and the end of verse 16 in in particular. What good conversations, by contrast, this group of people are having after the evening service. They get a cup of coffee, uh, they're standing around, and they might talk a little about the weather and uh, how Burnley did yesterday, and they'll rapidly move on from such depressing uh, things as, as that. And then they'll talk about the sermon And it might not have been a perfect sermon. In fact, I doubt it would be a perfect sermon. There isn't a perfect sermon. The best thing I've done tonight is to read the Bible. Everything else, well, you know, I've sat down and I'm writing a message and I have rough headings and an outline and I'm filling in uh, a little a bit of waffle goes on here and there. But when a man stands and reads the Bible, you're getting something very beautiful. It's pure gold, straight from God, straight from God. There's no error. There's no prevarication. It's all the good seed, wholesome, no error, infallible. It's there to do us good. That's the best thing I've done. Tonight, but to bear with me, I'm sure you, you are a forgiving con- congregation. And we ought, you know, any man who's invited to a gospel church to preach, we ought to give that man a good hearing. He will do his very best before God. He's read the Bible. I remember the story about um, Spurgeon's conversion. And uh, he, he turned into a chapel for the first time in his life. And the appointed preacher didn't make it because of a snow, heavy snowfall. And uh, the deacon didn't quite know what to do. And he got up into the pulpit and he fumbled his way through a few verses, which were essentially look and live. And he pointed at Spurgeon. Well, you look very miserable, young man. I'll tell thee what thou needs to do. Look, look, look and live. Just look and live. And then he closed with a final hymn. And uh, Spurgeon was converted. Just to fumble through a few thoughts that he gathered you know there's wonderful things to be gleaned from the word of God but one group after the service they're all grumble and moan oh what what was he doing there and uh, why doesn't he get his hair combed and uh, I know I do need a haircut I was saying to Jill before I I came out and she said to me this morning, your, your, your jacket and your trousers are too closely matched. People will think you're trying to actually match them. It's a, so I put on a darker jacket tonight just to, to help you. It's not a distraction. And I try and put on a fairly plain sort of a tie that you're not counting the dots. And uh... But some people are all taken up with the negatives. And that's the conversation. It's so sad. But not these people. They've taken the gold. They glean from it. Then those who... Fear the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a, a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Oh, good conversation, good fellowship, my friends. I'd encourage myself and yourself. Seek that, seek it out. But then a little addition, and really more than that. Let me encourage you and challenge you and me. Not only seek that. My friends, be that. Be that. Be the one who speaks well of the Lord. Who wants to talk and point and encourage us in these dark and difficult days. It's wild out there in the world. We don't want to come to church to be discouraged. There's enough of that out there. I want to come to be encouraged and to be built up. And the word of God is read and we sing these wonderful hymns and the preacher fumbles through a message. Oh God, speak to me. Help me to sift out the dross and to retain the gold. Then let me turn to the one next to me and encourage them with what I found encouraging in the word of God tonight or this morning or things that have happened in my life Recently, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. How can I be that? How can I know that? First of all, clearly, it's a heart attitude. Those who feared the Lord. Well, surely as a Christian, we shouldn't fear God, my friends. If I've understood who God is, yes, He is my Father. But what a being is this. Oh, how shall I sing that majesty which angels do admire? This sea without a shore, this sun without a sphere. His time is now and evermore. His place is everywhere. Oh, splendor of God's glory bright. This being who dwells in depths. This is how he describes himself. Here's the gold from his word. God dwells in depths of burning lights, And John says, I want to tell you, God is light. Then he puts it negatively. And in him is no darkness at all. You see, you can look at these lights, not too much. They're pretty bright, but they contain shades of grey and dark. If you analyse the spectrum, there are dark bands in it. You analyse the spectrum of the light of God, it's
1: just light.
0: If you don't fear God, if I don't fear God, we haven't begun in the Christian life. Fear Him, you saints, and you will then have nothing else to fear. There's a right fear called a reverential fear because He is God. He's the Creator, and I am a creature. And those who have this right fear will speak reverently and kindly and wonderfully and with awe about Him. Ruth, we're going through such difficult days. I know Hezekiah. But the Lord is good as old Nahum said. You're right, Ruth. Amen to that. He is good, and he helps us in time of need. Shame on me for, thank you, Ruth, for that little reminder. And that's how we ought to be. It's easy to drag each other down. Of course it is. Of course it is. And how do people feel when they've had a conversation with me or with you? Do they go away, (sighs) Or do they go away? Oh, I challenge my own life. How do we affect them? We do affect each other. And these people, oh, they sought out fellowship. They weren't despising of those who spoke badly. I'm sure they prayed for them. But they knew where to seek and to find their fellowship. And they gathered together. And they feared the Lord and so spoke reverently about Him. And then the end of the verse tells us something more. Their their minds now. So their hearts, they fear the Lord. Now, in in their their minds, for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on His name. Now, I think this is a a lost Christian discipline uh, to, to meditate uh, we're so busy, busy do doing nothing, busy the whole day through, trying to find lots of things not to do. Busy, 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 always, always, out, action, up, out. Now, this is something then in older years that um, I'm sure many can relate to. Time, time. What do I do? What's my ministry as I grow older? Well, I have something in abundance I didn't perhaps have before. Time to invest in prayer. Time to invest in reading. Time to invest in just thinking on Him. Taking a verse of the Bible. Behold what manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God. Well, I can read it and then off I go and out in the car and this visit, that visit. And in all the years, perhaps you can take it and ring that verse dry Behold. What, my, what country has this love come from that's invaded my life that I should be called a child of God? And behold, see, John, this is what we are. Oh, and we haven't seen the half yet. Meditating. And from that meditation, on his name, uh, the ladies, I believe, you're doing a series on the names of God. Is that, that's right, isn't it? on the Wednesday morning? If you're free, do go along. And it's his name that reveals his character and his ways, who he is and what he does. So, that great name, Jehovah, uh, who he is, is the I am, his essential essence. He is who he is. And then other names, Jehovah Jireh, what he does, he's my provider. And when I'm feeling that times are tough and uh, again, you know, economic downturn and difficulties, looking up, Jehovah Jireh. And I can raise an Ebenezer. Hitherto he he has the Lord been my help. What a difference to fear the Lord and to meditate on His name. There's a wonderful Psalm, forty. well, all the Psalms are wonderful. Psalm 42, uh, verse 6, I think it is, Deep calls to deep, the spirit with the soul. Deep calls to deep. The title of the Psalm is uh, Knowing the Lord in Times of Difficulty. The names of God. The names of God. Remember when the angel of the Lord appears to um, I've forgotten? Is it Manoah and his wife about to uh, the, the parents of, of uh, Samson? Is it Manoah? Forgot? Yeah. Oh, his wife says, "I have seen a, a, an angel. He's given me a message. Oh, I, I need to see myself." And then the angel appears again. Tell me your name, says Manoah. You ask my name? My name is wonderful. What a name. What a name. a translation I was reading in the week. You ask my name? You wouldn't understand. It is sheer wonder. But it's worth meditating on. It's worth meditating on. And such people with a heart and a mind, their lives overflow out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. And again, with the knocks, what's in will come out. If you're a grumpy old curmudgeon, that's what's going to come out. If you're a gracious old curmudgeon, is a, can you be a gracious old curmudgeon? I'm not sure. Gracious old gentleman. And those gentle words of grace, what's in comes out. And particularly under uh, the knocks. And these people they sought and found and we should seek out and find such fellowship together to speak of reverence, with reverence of of Him. Fellowship is absolutely a key element of the means of grace. Acts 2.42 There the new believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to prayer, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Four essential elements to growth in grace under the word of God's prayer breaking bread, fellowship. Desire it, treasure it, go for it whenever you can. So when there is a ladies' meeting you can get to, why would you want to be anywhere else? Saturday morning, next men's breakfast, is a week on Saturday. We're back in the book, and it's about uh, our speech, interestingly, as we're on it tonight. That's the men's breakfast theme, a week on Saturday. And again, we'll look to put on a... Proper breakfast for us, but the real thing is
1: fellowship.
0: Get out of beds, come along and share fellowship. I think men are particularly not as good as women at at this area of opening up our hearts to each other. Toza had a phrase of uh, believers in this sort of area, he called it the fellowship of the burning heart. So, these two groups of people, once the grace of God has invaded our lives, how can we tell? Well, it's fruit and it's not gifts. And one of the fruits is our conversation together. Are we those who build up? Are we those who draw down? May God have mercy upon us and may every single one of us look at the best, think the best, speak the best and look to encourage one, spurring one another on towards love and good works. Now we'll leave it there for this evening and next time we'll look at the rewards that come. And those grumblers who are saying, well, there's no point, it's vanity, there's no, no distinction between the good and the bad. Well, there is. Here and now, and in the hereafter also. But uh, we'll leave it there for this evening. Let's pray. Father, thank You again for a brief time in Your Word. We pray, Lord, that Your grace might work on in our needy hearts. Refine as we pray. Change us from glory into glory. May we be people who are full of good things, that we might share them with one another, to the glory of your name. Amen. 772, fill thou my life, O Lord my God, in every part with praise, that my whole being may proclaim thy being and thy ways, that my being might proclaim and show forth his being and his ways. What a prayer we're going to be singing together. 772. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and ever.